I want to invite you now to find Luke 5, if you've got your Bible with you. Luke chapter 5. going to admit up front, it's going to be really tough for me to hide my excitement this morning. My whole job and my whole privilege is that I get to introduce people to Jesus. That's actually your job too. But um, I feel the special privilege this morning of getting to do it in such a public way. And um, what this passage is about, Luke chapter 5. Before we get into it, um, I want to share with you what you already know, and that's simply that um, there are lots of reasons a person may decide to not follow Jesus. They may have environmental reasons for deciding to not follow Jesus. Maybe the church you grew up in wasn't healthy. Maybe it was even abusive. You know, if if that was your experience, I can understand why at this point you would say uh, to Jesus, I'm out. Why that's what you would feel like saying. I actually listened to a um, really well-known Christian musician say pretty much that exact thing a couple weeks ago. Finally come out and say, you know, um, my growing up experience in church was really bad. And um, she shared some details, and it was really bad. And um, she's just gotten to the point right now where she has said, I'm out. After reflecting on that experience, just said, um, that's not for me. could be that the churches that you grew up in and your exposure to God were just um, not alive. They were not encouraging places. They, um, maybe they were full of contentiousness. And um, there was nothing about that place that was desirable to be around. And in recognition of, of that, you've gotten to the point where you've just decided, I'm out. That's not for me. If that's what following Jesus looks like, if that's Christianity, that's not for me. Maybe your assessment of the church landscape is such that you've just decided um, this has become way too politicized, and if that's what this is all about, I'm out of here. <clears throat> I, would, <clears throat> I would call all of those things environmental reasons for deciding to not follow Jesus. In other words, it has nothing to do with him, who he is, and his person. It has to do with the things in the communities surrounding him that have made you decide, that's not for me. You may have intellectual reasons for not following Jesus. It may be a struggle for you to believe in uh, the miracles, to believe in the resurrection, to believe in the reliability of Scripture, or some other claim that the Bible makes. You just can't get there in your mind, and so you've decided that um, I'm out. It could be that You don't care for the exclusivity of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Or maybe you disagree with the origins of the world as described 
by the Bible or the destiny of those who reject Jesus. I would call all of those things intellectual reasons for deciding to not follow him. There's another category that we could list, and I would just call these things competitive reasons. There's something else that you like and want more than Jesus. And so you have been drawn to that thing and embraced whatever that thing is because you want it more than you want Jesus. He's in competition with something, and you've said yes to that other thing, and you've said no to him. Probably the the best theologian that the church has ever had in all of church history, second to the Apostle Paul, probably the best theologian that's ever lived, initially said no to Jesus for competitive reasons. He loved his bachelor life. He loved the free expression of his sexuality. And he knew, if I say yes to Jesus, I have to leave behind all of those women. And I don't want to do that. I can't do that. And it was tearing him apart on the inside. Because he knew what was true. And he knew that he had to follow Jesus, but he couldn't say no to himself. And he could not restrain himself and hold himself to one woman for the rest of his life. And so for competitive reasons, because sex won the face-off with Jesus, he initially said no. I'm not going to be his disciple until that providential day in his friend's backyard when the creator claimed Augustine for himself and said, you're mine. Maybe environmental reasons have kept you from saying yes to Jesus. Maybe intellectual, maybe a competitive reason, maybe something else that we haven't even mentioned. If that's you, I very simply want to invite you today to look at Jesus again. I know that that may be a really big ask because you may feel like you've, you've heard it all, you've seen it all, you know all the arguments, you've been in those camps, you've been with those people, and you don't want to look again. But I'm telling you, the reason that I'm inviting you to look again is not because I want something from you. It's not that I want your membership. It's not that I want your money. It's not, I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. I want you to be rich. I want you to be fulfilled and loved and comforted and saved and ready to give your life away. I want you to have the treasure that is Jesus Christ. And in the passage that we're going to read in just a moment, we see someone who is not a follower of Jesus at the beginning. And by the end of the passage, he is a follower of Jesus. Not a disciple at the beginning, yes, a disciple at the end. And what we want to try to do is understand what happened in his mind and in his heart that changed his status.
and just maybe it'll change yours too. Luke 5, verses 1 through 11. Let's stand in honor of God and his word, shall we? Luke 5. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing, and this is Jesus, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Dear Lord, I pray for your richest mercy toward us sinners. Um, I, I pray that your, your power and your presence would be so strong as to completely change hearts that are riveted to other affections, hearts that never think that they could leave or move off of that intellectual point or that fleshly point or that point of such great hurt. Hearts that think they could never follow. And I ask you to be more than all of those things and claim people for yourself today by the power of the word of Christ. For I ask in his holy name, amen. Please be seated. The first thing that we see as Peter, Peter the non-disciple. This is Peter the non-disciple. The first thing we see as Peter, the non-disciple, encounters Jesus is that there is a recognition of his lordship. We're looking at the three discernible things that happened in his heart and in his mind when he encountered the real Jesus. As a non-disciple encountering the real historical person of Jesus, the first discernible thing that happens inside of him is that there is a recognition of his lordship, his lordship over him, over himself. We see that in verses four and five. Jesus directs Peter to let down the nets for a catch and Peter obeys him. Now, the incredible thing is that Peter obeys Jesus 
heedless of his own expertise. Peter is the professional fisherman here. Jesus is a teacher and the son of a carpenter. And here we have this spectacle of a non-fisherman presuming to tell a professional what to do in order to be successful in his trade. What in the world is going on? How could Jesus presume to tell Peter what to do and yet Peter obeys, heedless of his own expertise? He also obeys him heedless of his own experience. Peter's been out all night and he's taken nothing, nothing. That was his real lived experience. He not only has expertise on his side, he has experience on his side. He has experiential evidence that Jesus' plan may not be the best plan for him. It's likely a futile plan. It's likely to draw ridicule from people who are watching. Because it's likely to draw ridicule from people who are watching, we could call it a ridiculous plan. And yet Peter obeys him. In spite of his own expertise and in spite of his own experience, he allows Jesus' authority to run over and overrule his own expertise and his own experience. And what we want to say, having seen how many fish are taken in because of that obedience, when we see the result of Peter's obedience, what we want to say is that Jesus is trustworthy. Your experience with the church may have been as frustrating and futile as Peter's night out on that sea. You may have experiential evidence that following Jesus may not be the best plan for you. Or your expertise in philosophy or religion or in the sciences or in the study of the Bible may lead you to believe because of your expertise in those areas, because of your expertise in those areas, you may believe that following Jesus does not make the most sense. You may be able to win every argument against anyone who wants to debate you. But when you come face to face with the real Jesus of Nazareth, you encounter someone who, in spite of your frustrating experience and in spite of your expertise, directs you to trust him and put the net back into the water. And then he shows himself to be trustworthy. He nevertheless calls us to put down our nets again, and then he delivers. 
That's what this non-disciple learned and recognized that day. Jesus is worthy of my trust, even though his counsel and his word go against all of my expertise and all of my experiences. And the critical point for you, non-disciple, you listening who are not a disciple for Jesus, the critical point for you is to take all of your experience and all of your expertise and set it aside at the risk of looking ridiculous and feeling ridiculous and say with Peter, at your word, I will. There is a great desire on the part of many Christians to present Christianity as a reasonable faith. There are lots of people, lots of Christians that work really hard to present Christianity as a reasonable faith, something that's compatible with reason. I think that's fine. I'm not going to interrupt any of those efforts to present Christianity as a reasonable faith. I just want to point out here that Peter is called upon to exercise an unreasonable faith in Jesus Christ. The faith that's demonstrated here is anything but reasonable. It's ridiculous faith. It's a ridiculous casting of himself upon the carpenter of Nazareth who presumes to tell him what to do. My friends, that is Christianity. It is a recognition that this person, Jesus, is absolutely trustworthy no matter what. It is a complete abandonment to his word in spite of what seems prudent and effective and productive and acceptable or reasonable. Jesus is Lord and he does what he pleases. I call upon you today to exercise an unreasonable faith in Jesus. That you simply obey him because of what he says. His very nature is not reasonable. Two natures in one person. The being of God is nothing that we would ever get to through reason. One God in three persons. You've got lots of stuff holding you back. And my call to you is to exercise a very, very unreasonable faith in Jesus Christ. That's what happens here. The next thing that we see from Peter when he encounters Jesus. So the first thing going on inside of him is a recognition of Jesus' lordship. The second thing we see from Peter when he encounters Jesus is a recognition of his personal sin. That's verses 8 through 10. There's first of all the recognition of his lordship. And then in verses 8 through 10, there is this recognition of his personal sin. We read, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. If we try to get inside Peter's head and in his heart in this moment, this is 
This is what's going on. We could say this is what's going on inside him. He feels his own unworthiness to be with Jesus. He understands in that moment, watching all these things happen and being reflective as to his own person, he understands and feels, I am not worthy to be with this person. Therefore, the request, depart from me. He feels his own unworthiness to be with Jesus. And this is how I want to press this point home for non-disciples of Jesus. If, If you are not following And remember, Peter is not a disciple at this point, just like you. Here is the point for non-disciples. Before we decide to follow Jesus, we are very likely to think that it is we who must make an accommodation to him. Before we decide to follow Jesus, it's very likely that we think it is we who must make an accommodation to him. We consider that we must submit intellectually to accept him. That we must submit our bodies to make accommodation for his requirements. You've decided that your life is closed to Jesus. You won't have him. You won't accommodate him. You won't submit to these beliefs and his demands and these restrictions on your behavior. You know, maybe you'll finally get to the point where you yield and allow him, and you will allow him to enter into your life. In other words, we're very likely to act like we are the ones with this great intellect to protect and these beloved behaviors to protect and imagine that we're the ones who might perhaps someday lower our standards and bow low enough to allow Jesus to infringe upon us and allow him to enter our lives. And I want to invite you to notice that is exactly backwards. It is not we who make an accommodation to Jesus. He makes an accommodation to us. Peter recognizes that he is the one full of sin and has no business being in the presence of Jesus. And yet when Peter admits his sin, Jesus' response is not to reject him, but to invite him to come closer. He accommodates Peter. He says to him, do not be afraid. The Holy Son of God is willing to accept the sinner. I have to confront you with the full weight of truth. Jesus is the gracious one in this relationship, not you. He is the one who condescends to accept you, not the other way around. You are a man or a woman who is full of sin. 
And he is the holy and sinless one. And yet he does not reject you because of your sin. He invites you to come closer. Don't sit in the lofty pride of your heart thinking that it is for you to someday perhaps accommodate Jesus of Nazareth and accept him into your life. That's not true. Don't sit there like a fool thinking that someday or maybe never you'll accommodate this Jesus. It's he that has chosen to accommodate you, although you have no business being with him and neither do I. Have you understood that? As you think about Jesus, as you think about what your parents have told you about him, what your grandma has told you about him, as you look at what the world has to offer that's in competition with Jesus, as you weigh your options, remember that Christianity is not something that you accept or finally give into because someone in your family keeps pestering you. Christianity is not something you finally accept against your better judgment. Christianity is the good news that you have been accepted, even though you're full of sin. And that when you come to Jesus confessing your sin and his lordship over you, you are not sent away. You're invited to come closer. And let me just say this word to those of you who have been following Jesus for a long time, maybe, and you kind of get into this pattern where we think, you know, do I have any time to give Jesus today? Do I have five minutes? Do I have 10 minutes? Do I have 15 minutes to accommodate the Lord Jesus in my life today? And let's admit, that can be a struggle, can it? We can beat ourselves up a little bit and think, how much time can I give to Jesus today? Can I give him five minutes? No, it's zero minutes today. Fifteen minutes? I don't think so. Instead of beating yourself up and feeling guilty about that, set your heart and your mind here, okay? Not on the idea that I have to accommodate Jesus for a certain amount of time today. Set your mind on, and heart on the truth that he has accommodated me today. He has allowed me to enter into his life today. Lead me, Jesus, today. Give him all the time you can. But remember, the important thing is that he has accommodated you. We're sinful. He's sinless. He accommodates us, not the other way around. Okay? So we see in this non-disciple, Peter the non-disciple, a recognition of Jesus' lordship over him. That's the first thing going on inside of him. Secondly, we see a recognition of his personal sin that should keep him from Jesus, but somehow does not. And the third thing, the last thing we see from Peter when he encounters Jesus is the determination to follow. That's verse 11 we see in him the determination to follow. Verse 11 is the point in time when the non-disciple Peter becomes Peter the disciple of Jesus. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed him. 
That's beautiful, isn't it? Let's say two things about Peter's decision to become a disciple and then we'll be done, all right? Two things about Peter's decision to become a disciple of Jesus. What do we want to say about this life-changing and identity-altering decision that Peter makes to leave behind what he once was and attach himself to Jesus? Here's the first thing that we can say. Peter went after the greater treasure. He went after the greater treasure. It's natural for us to focus on what Peter left behind in order to follow Jesus. We see these words, they left everything. The boats, the nets, the fish, that huge catch of fish, they walked away from it all in order to follow Jesus. One question that you might be asking yourself if you're considering following him You're sitting there at the point of decision wondering, well, if I follow him, am I going to get what I want? If I make the decision to follow this Jesus that you're talking about, am I going to get what I want? Am I going to be satisfied with the quality of life that I end up with if I go down this path with Jesus? Am I going to get all the fun that I want, all the money that I want, all the sexual activity that I want? All the friends that I want, all the toys that I want, can Jesus really provide for me? And will he? Or will this life with him be dull and joyless and pretty meager? That's a legitimate thing to wonder about. I'm not going to beat you up for wanting to ask that question. That's a legitimate question to ask. What will Jesus do for me? Will he provide? Will he give me what I want? And in order to help you with an answer to that question, please just notice that Jesus, in this passage, Jesus provided for Peter more fish than he could ever have hoped for. And remember what this meant. Yes, this was a one-time thing, a one-time provision of fish, but think about what it could have meant. If Jesus can do this today, And he's taken a special interest in Peter. What could that mean about tomorrow and the next day and the next day? Would Peter not be able to become the richest, most prominent, most powerful person anywhere if anytime he lets down his nets, all these fish come in because he's got Jesus on his side? Probably could have thought, boy, if I stay in this business, if I stay in this business, there's literally no end to the riches that I can accumulate. I can be the happiest, richest, most enviable guy in the world with Jesus as my business partner. And I'll just point out that even with the promise of everything he could ever want, Peter leaves it all behind because the fish were not the treasure. The money that he could have gotten from the fish was not the treasure. Jesus himself is the treasure. And so he leaves all that behind and he follows the greater treasure. And like Augustine, we talked about Augustine a few minutes ago, you may be worried about what you have to leave behind in order to follow Jesus. Let me assure you, 
Anything that you could leave behind in order to follow Jesus is a pile of decaying fish in comparison to the Lord Jesus. I don't know what happened to the fish. I don't know if they sold it and got the money so they could take it with them for provision. I don't know if they gave it to somebody else. You know what? It doesn't matter. There's a huge pile of fish over there, and they walked away from it all. Because Jesus was the greater treasure. There is no treasure to be compared with the person that is Jesus Christ. The reason that he could call sinful Peter alongside him. The reason that he could say to sinful Peter, do not be afraid, was not that he was overlooking Peter's sin. And it's not that Peter's sin didn't matter. It's that he was going to pay for Peter's sin himself. It's as if he was saying, don't worry about that. I've got that taken care of. You come with me. And that's what he does for you, non-disciple. He's not only your teacher. When you follow him, you're following your savior because he pays for your sin. Peter went after the greater treasure, and so can you. The last thing that we want to say is that Peter went with only one guarantee. Okay, so he he went after the greater treasure, and he went with only one guarantee. natural for us to want to know what lies ahead of us if we become a disciple of Jesus. You may want to know, well, what's the end of this path going to look like? Is it going to be painful? Am I going to um, have to yield up my life for this faith? Is it going to be hard? What's this road going to look like? Peter follows with only one guarantee, and it's the same guarantee that's given to you. Jesus says to him, verse 10, from now on, you will be catching men. In other words, the guarantee is, you will be like me. You will be like me. You know, the one who got into the boat on the lake And left the lake, not with this huge catch of fish. Jesus left the lake with men, not fish. Jesus was a catcher of men. And his guarantee to Peter is from now on, you will be catching men. That is, you will be like me. And based on this passage, that's the only guarantee that I can offer you. If you decide to follow Jesus and become his disciple, the only guarantee I can offer you is nothing about what that path is going to look like. The only guarantee is you will become like him. One really sobering thing about this passage is that Jesus takes a man who existed in the quiet out-of-the-way industry of fishing and he calls him out of the boat onto a path that's going to lead to his death, likely a death by crucifixion. And that's kind of a hard thing, isn't it? 
come with me and die really painfully. But let, remi- let me remind you of something, and that is just that Peter was already on a path that was leading to his death. Jesus didn't so much call him to that path as he transformed that path by his presence and by his promise of a Christ-like life. And that's what he offers to you. You're already on the pathway that leads to your death. Be transformed by Christ. Be saved by Christ. And death itself is transformed from something that's an eternal sorrow to an instantaneous transport to the face of Jesus. So will you follow him? Will you become his disciple? I'm going to say one more thing. Following Jesus is not easy. It's something that we do in a very... um, a very imperfect way. And a decision today to abandon your boat and become a disciple of Jesus doesn't mean that there won't be days when you go back to your boat and you don't follow him very well. I have lots of days when I go back to my boat and I don't follow him very well. And the last thing I want to say is just a reminder of what happens on those days when we go back to our boat. You know, Peter's going to go back to his boat, John 21. He's not sure that he wants to keep on. What happens when Peter goes back to his boat and doesn't do such a good job of following? Jesus goes back. And he finds him and he calls him out of the boat again. And he gives him breakfast. And he says to him, come on, follow me. Jesus is not just the patient and gracious one the first day you meet him. He is the patient and gracious one on the 10th day and the 100th day and the 1,000th day in the 10,000th day and every day in between, he is eternally the patient and gracious one. Jesus, the trustworthy one. Jesus, the gracious one. Jesus, the one who made everything, for whom you abandon everything, just to be attached to him. Amen. Lord, how wonderful is your son. Every heart that knows him and believes in him rises up today to bless his name and testify likewise that he has always been the patient and gracious one in this relationship, that we have no business being with him. But he's called us and he calls us back again and again and again. We love him. We praise his name. Amen.